This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Thursday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Lisa Graham, and I'm coming to you from the Wisconsin State Fair today. And you are listening to a special Draft Horse episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network, proudly presented by the Draft Horse Journal for August 3rd, 2017. Our episode today is number 1753. This episode is brought to you by the 2018 World Clydesdale Show. Good morning, Heavy Horse World. Good morning. As I promised, we are going to have a class that is second to none. We are going to be bringing in the Clydesdales, the Belgians, and the Pertrans in the arena. Well, that is what we're talking about. We're talking about draft horses today. And of course, the draft horse episode is here the first Thursday of every month, thanks to the Draft Horse Journal. We'll talk a little bit more about that because it is kind of a special day. First, we have Lisa actually on her phone. She is not on her usual setup today because you're somewhere in Wisconsin. I am. I am in West Ellis, uh, Wisconsin, which is just a suburb of Milwaukee, and it's home to the Wisconsin State Fair and we're kicking off Clydesdale Week this week here at Wisconsin. So I don't know that we're going to have all our internet problem we normally have, but I'm kind of uh, coming to you on my phone, sitting in a garage in the parking center, and, and hoping that it all holds out well for us. It's, it's a rainy, chilly day at Wisconsin. Normally it's 100 degrees when we're showing the Clydesdales, but little chilly, rainy day today. Uh, so let's review the glamorous life of a talk show host. You are in the garage at a desk where they where they basically fix things, and it's rainy and chilly. Yeah, isn't that the perfect setting? <laughs> and, and let me add to the, the vision yeah. here. There is a chainsaw and a power booster jumper cable. So that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> well, you know, if, if there's an emergency, you'll be all set. <laughs> I'm I'm right there. If a tree goes down, I'm I'm ready to help. But it, it is a great day. You know, even though it's a little dreary out there, we're showcasing the Clydesdales. And if you are anywhere near Wisconsin, near Milwaukee, come down and watch. The Clydesdales are here through Saturday. And once the Clydesdales leave, uh, the Belgians and the Perturns move in. So it's, it's showtime in Wisconsin. Sounds good. Well, Jennifer's going to tell us what's coming up on today's show. Coming up on today's heavy Horses in the Morning show, brought to you by the Draft Horse Journal, we start with Draft Horse historian extraordinaire Bruce Roy, and he's going to give us a little Draft Horses then and now. And then Lisa Eller Niebergall has a primer on the Indiana State Fair coming up, and Robert Sparrow tells us about his recent trip to South America as a member of the United States Livestock's Genetic Export organization zowsers so stay tuned for the fray folks thank you jennifer appreciate that and guess what everybody oh happy anniversary happy anniversary happy anniversary happy anniversary for a cheerful toast and fill it happy anniversary but be careful 
That's right. It is our anniversary. It, I, you know, it flew by so fast. It's been one year one, since we started doing this. One year, and I can almost close my eyes and vision one year. I was in the, I was in a parking lot at the same place, but actually just sitting in my vehicle. The first time we did a podcast, and it was nerve wracking, and I was new to this, and now you know, twelve episodes later, I just think we're so blessed to have all the listeners that we do, and, and to keep skyrocketing to the charts as far as statistics go on the podcast and just a year working with you and Jen, it's been amazing, but we together have one person to personally thank. And that's Wintoline. He's, he has brought this to life and, and I can't ask for a better boss and, and having him and you and Jen as part of this is just a, just a great combination. Lynn is the uh, big boss over at the Draft Horse Journal, and without him, I mean, he's basically the one that makes all this happen. He books the guests. He, you know, he gets the sponsors. He really does make this happen. And without him, we wouldn't be here. Draft Horse, uh, this Draft Horse episode of Horses in the Morning has been number one as far as number of downloads for the last three yeah, months. Uh, so you guys are still holding the top spot. Congratulations for that. There's a lot of Draft Horse lovers in the world. It is. And, you know, I started the Facebook page so people could follow us and we post all of our guests that are going to be coming. And I do get questions on there. People will message us and ask certain questions when they know what guest is coming. So it's it's all coming together. And, and just the way we have grown in one year makes me excited about what's coming next. Well, and you are you're at the and by the way, let's just uh, give our plug for the Draft Horse Journal right up front here today. It is the premier magazine in the Draft Horse world, and you can get your copy. Just visit the Draft Horse Journal's website, uh, sign up today to get your copies. I look forward to coming here to the house. It's a big deal in the Draft Horse world when the Draft Horse Journal it shows is. up. Uh, it's like the Bible. It's like the Bible of the Draft Horse industry, and I know family members. I know at our house, we fight over it. And if I happen to get the mail first, I'll either hide it until I'm done looking at it, or if Austin gets it first, he'll hide it. So it's, it's kind of a joke to see who can get the mail. We know when it goes out. It's just how that post office gets it to us. Well, you know, he has a very loyal following. It's been around for like a million years. so it's... <laughs> Almost. <laughs> uh, Lynn's not that old, but the journal's been around for that long. Exactly. And, yeah, we just highly recommend it. Head on over to their website. Just search for Draft Horse Journal. Just Google it. It'll come up. It'll be the first one there, and you'll find it, and you can sign up today for your copy of the Draft Horse Journal to come right to your house. And, and without them, we would not be here. That is for certain. Now, you, when we talked last, we're at the Calgary Stampede, but it was like the first day. It hadn't even really started yet. How did that go this year? You know, Calgary, Calgary is just phenomenal. You bring, especially for the horse show, it brings history and tradition to life. There are families that have been showing there for generations and generations. And, and it, the numbers were down slightly this year. Nobody really knows other than, you know, we can blame everything on the economy, but the numbers weren't real weren't real big, but the quality was there and there were several new hitches. So that's exciting because they're taking that history and those families and coming back with new owners and new people that are interested in our draft horse world and, and made a huge difference at Calgary. And I got to drive Lady Scart for the first time in many years. So what what an honor for me to go into the saddle dome. Who who doesn't dream of taking a great horse into the saddle dome and the philharmonic orchestra is playing and you know it's it's an experience it, it was pretty pretty darn nice 
Yeah, that is cool. You know, I didn't realize that they... Is that the only show where there's an actual orchestra playing? It is the only one that, that I've ever gone to. And I know at Oklahoma City, uh, Mr. Bob Funk from Express Clydesdale, he, they were actually the winning six-horse hitch. They were crowned the Calgary World Champion this year, the Express Clydesdale. And I know Mr. Funk loves that orchestra. So last year at Oklahoma, when we had our Classic Series Finals, he brought an orchestra out to the Oklahoma State Fairgrounds. So those are about the only two. I mean, we're lucky to get live music at any of the shows we go to. Most of it, you know, is DJ and piped in music. But yeah, the Philharmonic was amazing. And and you don't think about it until you get in there and then they stop playing. And, and instantly it's like, oh, something's missing. But yeah, it, what an experience. It, it's just history and it's lots of horses, Clydesdale, Shires, Belgian Pertrans. They were all in the running and yeah, it, it's what just did, neat to, to go visit the friends did, in the north. Who did you show? I was showing with Waring Shires. Um, they had a six-horse hitch of, of black Shire geldings. And, you know, Shires are of the smallest of our draft horse breeds that are competing. But they had a great showing, and I had fun in my cart class. And, and it, like I said, it was just an overall great show. Right outside our stall was the Budweiser Clydesdales. And they're always a huge draw. I mean, there was people lined up from morning when they were watching them get ready to hook to go into the parade. So just walking through, taking pictures. And, you know, sometimes we see the Budweiser Clydesdales a lot. They're around here in the U.S. We see them at a lot of different events. But the Calgary Stampede was very welcoming to them. And and it was it was just a overall great show. Lots of people, million people come through the gates and the town doubles in size from all the people that are exhibiting. And of course the chuck wagon races, if you've never seen four horses hooked to a chuck wagon going as hard as they can, that should be on everybody's bucket list. I know Calgary's still on my bucket list. I'm going to get up there one of these days. And yeah. you, you were at a different show too, along the way before, uh, since we talked last, right? I did. Yeah. I, I, so Calgary, and then I just got back from the Scott County fair and a county fair in Jordan, Minnesota, but it is probably one of the largest county fairs as far as draft horses go. We had 18 six-horse hitches in the Whoa. arena at one time for final judging. It was literally like... How do you fit 18 six-horse hitches in a <laughs> ring? Well, it, it's a big arena. Um, that show is hosted by Mr. Dick Ames and the Ames Percherons, and it is literally in their backyard. I mean, they're based right there in Jordan, Minnesota, and and they work hard. And I have to laugh, Mr. Ames. You would you would never know his stature in this world or his status on on what his name is synonymous with in the Ames construction. He comes out there and he works that arena and tries to get it in tip top shape, and to accommodate. 18 six-horse hitches, like you said. They're lined up all across the arena, and then some are on the back rail because they they just don't fit. But I had to laugh about Dick is his primary goal. You wouldn't think he's a, a multimillionaire out there with this Fortune 500 company. He's out there on Friday, and he did not like how the arena was driving. He said, these corners are too soft. This was not right. Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, I pull into the fairground, and there are eight dump trucks lined up from Ames construction and he is totally redoing the arena. And, and we just had to laugh because Dick's like, if you're going to play in my sandbox, it's going to be a good one. And so all morning he worked on that arena. And then that, that Saturday evening, when we started the show, 
people were just amazed at how good the arena was driving and the footing was perfect, but you have to laugh that here you're at a county fair and on Saturday morning, here comes eight dump trucks and excavators and they got the arena, like I said, in tip top shape. And then on Sunday we had the eight horse hitch and there were 16, eight horse hitches. Wow. That's just incredible. Yeah. And and for for those, for the, I had to get my calculator out. Uh, You know, when you have that many (laughs) six horse hitches, that's 108 horses in the ring at the same time. That's a lot. That is a lot. And I added up, I added up the different states that went to this. And again, it's Scott County Fair, but it is way beyond just County Fair, especially the draft horses. It's like one of the premier, um, eight different states represented. I mean, they came from Michigan to Oklahoma, from Oklahoma, it was just a tremendous showing. And from there, almost all those hitches kind of dispersed into the county fair. Some went on to Davenport, Iowa to be part of um, an American Belgian show. Others came here to Wisconsin. Others went to Ohio. Ohio is going on right now, Ohio State Fair. And through the grapevine, I heard they had over 36 horse hitches that were going to be at Ohio. Well, well, there's a lot of hitches oh. out there. Do you know where else there's going to be a ton of hitches? And that's at the 2018 World Percheron Congress. America is once again hosting the greatest of events for the world's most popular draft horse. I was there last time. It was so much fun. And by the way, for the people running the World Percheron Congress, uh, we would love to come back. Come the back. World Percheron <laughs> Congress is returning to Iowa on October 8th through the 13th, 2018 at the historic Iowa State Fairgrounds. It celebrates the uh, and honors the great breed's versatility power and intelligence. It will be a worldwide celebration with breed ambassadors coming from all over the place, including Colombia, South America, Australia, Great Britain, Italy, Germany, and France, of course, where the Percheron was. It's basically its homeland. The final evening will feature the second World Percheron Congress Drive for the Cure charity cart class. In recognition of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, exhibitors will turn the Jacobson Center Arena pink and drive their carts to raise funds for the National Breast Cancer Foundation to aid in the fight against breast cancer. The World or the Pertron Horse Association of America invites you and your family to come be a part of the largest gathering of Pertron draft horses anywhere, anytime. Expect to have a great time, be impressed, and even awed. They, they count and count on making memories that will last a lifetime. I got to tell you, it was a memory that lasted a lifetime for me. I absolutely, we absolutely love being there. Dr. Wendy and I of the driving radio show went up, and it's just, I, you get goosebumps when you see that many Percheron grays and blacks all in the same place at the same time. It is so cool. You do. And, you know, I always liked going through the barn and just seeing how they took an empty barn and transformed it into these beautiful displays. I mean, they showcase their breeding stock, they showcase their farms. I know there's a little decorating competition, but it's just phenomenal how they make the barns look so awesome. It is cool. And they, they one of the cool things is a lot of shows are closed. The barns are closed, and you can't go mm-hmm. in, but spectators can't go in. And, you know, a lot of times it's FEI regulations or whatever, If you're go- depending on the type of show you're going to. But when you're going to these shows, you can go in and meet the horse. It's just so cool. You yep. can walk around. Uh, yep. Meet the gentle giants, actually. Yeah. 
For details on, and how to buy your World Pertron Congress wear, your t-shirts and all of that stuff, visit them at worldpertroncongress.us. That's worldpertroncongress.us and on Facebook at World Pertron Congress. So, yep, and I'll, I'm waiting for my invitation by email, guys. So just look, I'm okay. looking for that. All right. <laughs> Next meeting, I'll make sure to get you on the agenda. All right, good. Yeah, do that. Thank you very much. <laughs> we, Wendy and I will be back. Wendy won the, the, won the celebrity driving last time, so she has to return as world champion celebrity driver i was gonna i was gonna say and those girls from gentle giants pam and katie i think you need a rematch with them that's right so we've already got four contenders now well there you go (laughs) all right our guest is ready all right ladies and gentlemen i am so honored to have our next guest joining us he really needs no introduction the name is synonymous with draft horses and when you hear the name bruce roy you know that he is a historian he's an expert and he's just a well-rounded, great guy. He's joining us today from Cremona, Alberta, Canada. Little lead-in, as most of you know, Bruce has been a volunteer at the Calgary Stampede Heavy Horse Committee for 58 years. And when I was at Calgary just a few weeks ago, seeing Bruce up there on the mic makes you feel like you're home when you come into the Calgary Stampede. He's also an announcer at the Mid-America, the Wild Rose Draft Horse Sales, and also working Carson's Draft Horse Sales. He's the announcer, as I said, at Calgary and other shows. He was once the secretary treasurer of the Canadian Pertron Association. He was also most famous for founding the quarterly publication Feather and Fetlock. I know we all treasure those issues and and the creative writing that Bruce always put into every article that, that he was a part of. Today, the spirited gentleman's most noted claim to fame, he is a contributing editor to our Jaft Horse Journal, for which he writes a feature article and is very popular column is called Stable Talk. So no further ado, welcome Bruce. Nice to have you with us. Nice to be talking with you, Lisa. You know, you know I could go on and on about you. You and I were neighbors for some time and we've been friends and for me announcing you were one that always set the bar high. I always I would always listen to, to see your words and to see what you were doing when you were announcing. And I've learned a lot from you over the years. So you know, you're more than just a um, partner with me. You're you're a great friend, and I, I appreciate you being with us today. Because people probably don't know you do get a little shy sometimes. <laughs> I'm a little shy. Did you say <laughs> <laughs> a little shy? <laughs> well, we are going to talk I about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk about your love for horses, and I know now everybody, as I said knows you knows that that you are a great ambassador for the draft horses but when did when did that start when did you become enamored enamored with the, the heavy horses well it goes a long way back lisa uh when i was about uh, uh six years old five years old six years old my parents took me to the calgary stampede uh together with a couple cousins and uh we went through the heavy horse barns and uh Yours truly didn't want to see the rest of the stampede. I was, <laughs> I was hooked from day one, and uh, I grew up. Uh, I grew spent my formative years as a teenager uh, on a farm, uh, a very large farm that employed was still employing draft horses uh, to farm uh, over twelve hundred acres in uh, oh nineteen forty six, and uh, it was halfway between Cayley, which. Uh, during World War II and the years before it, or just prior to it, was the world's 
second largest cattle shipping station. Only a place in Argentina was greater, and just to the uh, equidistant on, on the west of us was the Bayou Ranch, which of course had been once been the uh, world's largest percheron breeding operation ever. Wow! And so percherons were your favorite from the beginning. Uh, I guess they became my favorite. Uh, my dad, uh, <laughs> my dad hired a lot of uh, uh, old horsemen. Uh, to work on our farm that had once worked on the Bar U Ranch when it was uh, in full swing with breeding Pertrans. And uh, I used to listen to these old fellows talk, and uh, we had a lot of Pertran horses uh, in, uh, that my father used. And uh, the breed, I really became to uh, recognize the virtues of the breed and love it. And also a very, a very good family friend was uh, Clarence Soderberg and uh, his father, uh, lived at Osco, uh, Illinois, and showed uh, Clydesdales at uh, Chicago for oh, uh, 50 years, I think it was, in 1929. And I used to go over there uh, with family. And uh, uh, Mr. Soderberg, they, they loved to play cards, and Mr. Soderberg always had the uh, all the Chicago Review and albums. And uh, I used to spend hours reading while uh, old-timers all played cards. <laughs> And uh, wow. actually, when when he passed away, those uh, publications all became mine. Wow. Well, and and you know, just jumping forward now, I have a 17 year old. His biggest treasure is all the old Feather Fetlock magazines. <laughs> we have boxes of them we've picked up at sales and events. And you know, it's it's funny. Your your writing is affecting people today because I know we both love to to look at the history. And a good horse never changes. You you always on your cover showcase great horses, and I don't think that's changed much today. I try to do my best, and uh, I uh, I actually enjoy uh, writing uh, a bit, although I'm I'm not uh, the best writer, I have to say. <laughs> oh, I beg to differ. But I have I have a trivia question that I could always have used out there because I did not know this until I was reading our pre notes. You were a high school biology teacher before you went all into to the heavy horses. I was in heavy horses before I became a biology teacher. Actually, I had uh, horses of my own, uh, and I. But I became a biology teacher. I uh, actually went to university to, uh, and took agriculture. I went to the University of Alberta because they had such a great perch and breeding program. <laughs> the year I got there, they dispersed. <laughs> oh, no. Which was a blow. <laughs> Which was a blow. But, uh, uh, yes, I, I taught uh, biology here at Cremona uh, for uh, 30 years, uh, uh, biology and history, actually. And uh, uh, kids called it uh, uh, sex and scandal. <laughs> <laughs> Numbered among my students, of course, was Brian Coleman. Well, anyway, sure, right, Brian, one of our most noted hitch drivers out there. So, back in those days, you were a busy man. You were raising a family, raising patrons, teaching school, and writing a magazine. Uh, that, uh, that well, before I started the magazine, I was secretary treasurer of the. Uh, a Canadian Perchin Association for 19 years. I took over from Hardy Salter uh, quite by chance. It was uh, he was ill and asked if I would take the books to uh, the annual meeting in Toronto. Uh, Gilbert Arnold was the uh, president at that time, and uh, the, 
there were some very colorful characters on the board of directors, and I didn't realize it, but I think it was a setup that Hardy wanted me to take <laughs> over the books. And uh, anyway, I did, and and then during those 19 years, uh, I got my first experience writing a breed magazines because I, I did the uh, Canadian Perch and Broadcaster for 19 years. Sure, and, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing in those days you didn't go to town to an office. I'm assuming you were like all of our dedicated secretaries. It was probably all done right there on your dining room table. Uh, it was done in uh, one room and uh, downstairs, and that was it, according to my wife Adair. But it had been managed to spread into two, and uh, that was it. Uh, uh, sadly, my wife passed away about three years ago. Uh, I'm sure. now spreading into my third room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Well, we're going to talk about pedigrees. We're, uh, we're going to talk about pedigrees because you, nowadays, a lot of people see you at the sales and events and and reading the pedigrees on the horse. But a lot of times you see the horse in front of you, but you can go back generations, two or three generations, four generations that you personally knew the, the dam or the sire. And I'm just curious, what can new breeders learn from the ancestries? When, when you say, oh, this horse was sired by so-and-so, what is it that the new people need to learn about pedigrees and, and following them back? A pedigree really is a roadmap, uh, a roadmap that uh, takes you to the sire, the dam, uh, and the grandparents, and, and points beyond, uh, if you want to go beyond. Uh, traits that are carried by uh, given sires and given broodmares uh, will be transmitted, uh, and uh, I suppose it's important that a breeder look at or look for traits that improve the horses they are breeding. Every every stable uh, has horses in it that uh, breeding horses in it that have uh, structural faults, maybe disposition uh, problems, uh, uh, maybe uh, lack of action or whatever. But there's some stallions and some broodmares out there that we know that are are. Uh, uh, really strong in those given points, and you like to hope that they are dominant in those traits. And if they're dominant in those traits, you want to introduce those traits into your breeding program. Uh, and I, I think that roadmap is uh, very, very important uh, to one's success. I put a lot of uh, emphasis on the female line, uh, and I, I guess I do this from my background in genetics. Uh, about 70% of the of the, inher- of the genes inherited by a draft horse come from that uh, broodmare that gives birth to the foal. Sure. So broodmares uh, and the broodmare line, uh, a good breeding horse in my book has to have a real good mother and a, uh, hopefully a real good grandmother and maybe three or four generations of real good mares behind uh, on the distaff. Sure. So... I know you've been on the block, say, at Gordyville, when some of these high-dollar horses are selling. What what kind of thrill is it to be on the block and, and see horses selling for fifty, sixty, seventy, ninety thousand dollars? <laughs> it's surreal. Uh, I bought my first mare in nineteen fifty-seven for three hundred dollars. She was a, a filly that. Uh, had won uh, all across Western Canada as a foal, was junior reserve junior champion as a yearling and two-year-old. 
$300 and $10 to deliver 150 miles <laughs> to my father's farm. Uh, sitting there at Gordyville and watching those uh, horses that are hitting eighty, ninety thousand dollars uh, Man, we've come a long haul. Cause I saw some desperate years, uh, desperate years when I first started. In fact, I started when the industry was desperate, to be quite frank. When I bought my first mare, my dad, of course, was phasing out into tractors on a, on the farm right. where he was operating, and uh, he laid down on the ground and laughed. <laughs> Why are you <laughs> buying a draft horse? <laughs> well, anyway, uh, that said, it it was a, a it's been a great ride since. Absolutely. So when you talk about changes, I mean we we see that price, of course, is a big change, but good or bad changes that you see in the horses that we're now showcasing um, maybe versus 30, 40 years ago, uh, good or bad. I mean, I know you're, you're very vocal when you write, you give your opinion and, and a lot of us treasure that. So just curious on, on what you see as some of the biggest changes going on. Well, I think the the top draft horses being produced today are probably uh, the best that we've ever seen in, in uh, uh, breed history, whether it's Belgian Perchin, Clydesdale, or Shire. Uh, but this said, I uh, I have a concern today. Uh, I think the hitch horse trade is, uh, although the, the we're seeing some magnificent hitches out there, and don't get me wrong, but uh, why are we... Uh, why the continual quest for horses that are ever taller? I look at these horses, uh, I, I, 18 hands in my book is high. That's high enough. Mm-hmm. When I see these horses that are going 18-2, uh, 18-3, ever bigger, and uh, uh, they're, they're ever more prone to break down. And then when I see them, so many of them with less than no foot, uh, little uh, bone to carry them, and uh, a hind rib that uh, is lacking, uh, it bothers me. And uh, the quest for horses that are ever higher in uh, uh, carrying their heads ever higher on a longer neck is also a concern because these horses are, we're breeding uh, a a trait that uh, we don't like, and that's we're getting ever ever more horses that are windy. And hence... uh, if you don't have an equine therapist on hand, and if you don't have a veterinarian on hand, uh, it's, uh, you're, you're, you're going to face ever-increasing problems. Sure. And, and we do see it. And, I, and maybe the, another disadvantage is because in modern times right now, wind surgery is just a way of life for a, for a lot of the hitches. Oh, got a horse. Exactly. It's a little windy. You know, 2500 bucks. that's going to get fixed. But... What you're saying, it's not helping the horse at all. No, and it's uh, who's getting rich, the veterinarian and the equine therapist and, and maybe the drugs, dr- druggist as well. Right, uh, right. It's, uh, I think it's counterproductive uh, in reality. Uh, I think we've got to start paying more attention to uh, some of these traits. Uh, otherwise, we're going to, uh, we're going to have uh, some breeds that are, are going to become... Uh, no one noted for the way they break down. I'm going to ask the dumb question to, as a follow-up to that. Why is, I mean, this is a dumb question, but why is bigger better? Oh, I have to ask that, too. I I like to see a sizable draft horse. Nothing grabs my eye better than, uh, uh, but 
But when you get up to 18 hands, 18 hands is, uh, is in my book, big enough. Let's, let's concentrate on action. Let's concentrate on, on structural correctness and, and things like that. When I was young, and we've gone from one extreme to another, because when I remember when the first years uh, I was around a show ring, uh, you didn't show a six-horse hitch and win if you didn't have uh, geldings in that hitch that uh, were ribbon winners. Most of the geldings, or uh, at least half of the geldings in a six-horse hitch, were shown in a halter class before they went into a harness class. Uh, looking today, you go to a lot of these shows, and you hardly see a, a gelding in a halter class today. And uh, Well, and I have the prime days. example of that. We, I was at Jordan, you know, at, at the Scott County Fair last week, and we had 18 six-horse hitches, and we had five geldings show in halter class. Right. Now, what's wrong? There has to be something wrong with a lot of these horses. Uh, I, I think it's a, a travesty for the breed, really. Uh, and as I say, I, I, we've gone from one extreme. When they used to, uh, I think of Alan Leslie from Walter, Saskatchewan, he would show every one of his six horses on, in a gelding, gelding classes. But today, just what you're saying, some hitches never show a one. And you know that the oh, foot issue has always been an issue. I had an 18 and a half hand percher on too with feet issues the whole time we had, had that horse. Um, it, it, they can only support so much. We start getting up to the 19 hand range. It's just going to be, it's just going to be massive vet bills. Uh, a foot is the foundation of the horse really. And, uh, well, uh, Clyde people overseas always sit it right. No foot, no horse. And, uh, and I, I would have to agree with that very much. And I don't like a big, fat pancake foot. Uh, that doesn't uh, thrill me. But I think a, a foot that ha- has uh, lots of width of heel, that has a big open hoof head that's open like a mallet, and then the horn of the foot has uh, uh, lots of depth to it, uh, and a frog that uh, a frog that is uh, uh, quite wide and broad, uh, I, I think is extremely important because that's like uh, another heart uh, pumping blood up and down the leg. Well, um, Lisa, we're, we're, we're plain running out of time. All right. Well, Bruce, I, I want to thank you for being on the show. I know, like I said, you're, you're more than uh, a leader in our industry. People treasure what you have to say. And I, I can't wait to see what your next articles are going to be in the Draft Horse Journal. We always look forward to reading those. And I know you had a great time at Calgary celebrating 58 years as a volunteer. And your family had a great showing in the halter classes. It was good to see them out. And I just want to thank you for being such a vital part of our draft horse industry. Lisa, you're a princess. I always enjoy <laughs> visiting with you, and uh, love to see you back in Alberta and hope to see you down the road. All right. right thanks, and, Bruce. And Bruce, Bruce and I are going to be working uh, that World Clydesdale show together. We're going to be the co-announcers. Oh, wow. Very good. Oh, very good. Have a great day, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you, and thank you so much. Bye now. Oh, geez. All he did was make your head bigger. Let's hear about... Oh, <laughs> Princess. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll, my day's made. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear about Shiv Shawana. We're going to come back with our next guest, Lisa, who is ready. Shipshawana Harness and Supplies in the heart of draft horse country in Shipshawana, Indiana, is your source for everything draft horse. 
their large inventory of in-house crafted harness, halters, and show bridles, showtime blankets, sweats, wagons, and carts, horse care products, and even shoeing supplies will fill the needs of the heavy horse hobbyist, the horse farmer, the heavy horse exhibitor, and the horse pulling competitor. You can find them online at ShipShawanaHarness.com, as well as on Facebook at Shipshawana Harness. Or you can give them a call at 260-768-7254. Just ask for Bob. Shipshawana Harness and Supplies, your source for everything draft horse. All right, Lisa. Lisa is ready. Well, we are ready for our next guest, and we have Lisa Ellard Nevergall joining us. And just reading her bio makes me tired because I know she she is on the go all the time. Lisa was born into the draft horse industry. Her family was born with the Belgians in their blood. They've been long and distinguished in the Belgian breed. And besides being a veterinarian, she is a teacher. She teaches at the Parkland College in Illinois. Her and her family work on breeding draft horses. And most importantly right now for her, she is the draft horse superintendent of the Indiana State Fair. That is a tradition that she carries on that has been in her family for many, many years. So, Lisa, it's good to talk with you this morning. Good morning. Good mo- are, you in, are you at the Indiana Fair already? I, I am. I got here last night. So, uh, just getting uh, the office up and ready to go. Well, I said, just reading your bio... You, you're so busy, and you're traveling back and forth from Illinois to Indiana, and, and now it, it comes Indiana State Fair time, and that is where your passion is. You're carrying on a, a tradition that your father, um, Lee Eller, was draft horse superintendent forever, and, and you learned. I think you basically grew up in that barn. I did. I did. I um, uh, certainly did my both my uh Dad and my mom ran the show for years and um, uh, were actually on the third barn or third facility um, that I can remember. And so so I have been here, uh, I guess, a long time. Perfect. And and so now you are there. You said you, you got to the fair yesterday. And, and so when do you get to go home? Are you a, a full two weeks, 10 days there? It's almost, it's almost uh, three weeks. So the last day of the fair for us and the last day of the fair is August 20th. And so the Indiana State Fair was historically a 10-day fair. And four or five years ago, they went to a 17-day fair. And so um, that's why we're here almost, almost three weeks. Wow. And Indiana State Fair is it's synonymous with a tremendous show. It's always first class, I can tell you, of all the state fairs I go to, when you go to Indiana State Fair, you know it's going to be ran top-notch. You have a great crew, and, and again, you have a tradition with your crew. A lot of them have been with you for, for many, many years. They have, you know, and that's, um, that's, one, that's probably one of the neatest things is that several of the staff, we started with my dad over 25 years ago as barn boys, you know, and they were 15, 16 years of age, Justin, Andy, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin, Brian. And so that's pretty neat that we've all been at it this long. Right. It, it's kind of like a well-oiled piston. You kind of got it all down. But 
So tell me this year you're going into the fair and you're home to a couple national shows. So tell us about those national shows that are going to be in Indianapolis. We are. We're, we're uh, hosting the National Clydesdale Show. Um, we're also hosting the National Belgian Show. And we're also hosting the National Halflinger Show this year. And so we're, we're very honored to be able to host those shows um, and certainly glad that those breed and those breed organizations uh, are want to bring their national shows to us. Sure. And, and we know the draft horse industry, like we've been talking earlier this morning, a lot of the shows are getting multiple hitches. You know, Jordan had 18 sixes and, and Calgary featured several six horse hitches. But tell us about the halflingers, because I know this is a heavy horse show, but we have a great following with halflingers. I think the numbers for halflingers are going to shock some of our listeners. Yeah, you know, it, it always has been a big uh, halflinger show here, and we'll have upwards of 14, 15, six horse hitches just of halflingers alone. And so it's a very large show. Uh, for halter day, we run two rings. We have Belgian halter on one side, and we have halflinger, and then the next day, draft pony. So we have draft pony halter, and so it's a very big show, um, and we certainly certainly are glad to have that uh, size of a halflinger show also. Right. So it, it really is long days and short nights. It is. Yes, it is. <laughs> but, well, well exactly. Well, one question, and you know, Mr. Lindsley, I know you're you're very good friends with with him. He says on here, you need to ask her what is tougher, foaling and breeding season as a vet, or running the Indiana State Fair. You know, he sent me that question, and I will say it, it speaks volumes that I had to actually think about it. Um, <laughs> obviously, the breeding season lasts quite a bit longer, but. Um, you know, when I when I first started as superintendent in 2009, I actually took over from my brother, Cray, had done mm-hmm. it. And in 2009, 2010, I probably would have said managing the, uh, certainly managing the Indiana State Fair. But um, um, you have to wear different, all different hats uh, when you're, when you're a superintendent. Well, and, and, and I know this isn't on my list of questions, but, and being a female, is that, mm-hmm tougher to have a role that way because I don't know of many other fairs that have a female that is in charge. And we know that you have a history and your dad did amazing things to set the stage for you and your brother and and your mom to take over because it was a family affair and and you watched him all those years. But have you ever had the confrontation where you had to kind of puff up and say, this is how it's going to be? <laughs> uh, sure, sure. You have to do that, and I think one of the keys, whether you're male or female, is you have to constantly be in there fighting for the draft horse show. Um, we have a great fair administration, very supportive. We're, we're very fortunate that way. But even so, you've got to have somebody that's willing, kind of be that uh, pit bull type. Uh, mentality where you're in there constantly fighting for the show and um, you know as a female I don't know if it's if that's you know I don't know that that uh, that's made a, a big difference male or female kind of like being in the veterinary world um, it's mm-hmm. more of a personality in there and, and um, certainly just uh, uh, be constantly the advocate for the draft horse department right and I think because 
of your role. You you do have the respect of the exhibitors, and it it's getting to the point where your show is growing and growing. And I think people acknowledge that if you want to be in some of these all American contests or merit classes, you have to be a part of the Indiana state fair, because even I'm going to say a third place ribbon at Indiana state fair speaks volume. I mean, Mm, it's just, you know, third place, you're honored to come out of there because like you said, even, even in the halflinger division to have that many horses there to be recognized in the top, that's quite an honor. Sure, it is. And it, and it is that caliber of show. And we're fortunate, you know, to be right there in the string of all kind of the Midwest state fairs where we all have great shows. Ohio State Fair just had a great show, a tough uh, halter uh, show. And so, um, you know, obviously Indiana's right in the thick of that. Sure. So if you could give advice, just one piece of advice to someone that says, hey, I'm going to jump in and and try to run a show or start a new show, what would your best advice be for someone wanting to start a draft horse show? Well, it's kind of what I spoke to just a bit before. You you just, you have to be an advocate for the draft horse show. You have to not be afraid to stand up and fight for what you think is best. And I think kind of what goes hand in hand with that is, the exhibitors should be treated like customers, no different than a business, no different than my clients as a veterinarian. Those exhibitors, without those exhibitors, we don't have a show. And we have to treat them as customers. Um, and sometimes that means, like I said, you know, fighting for what what you think as a show manager is most important for the draft horse department. And I think people need to realize as well, running a show, especially the caliber that you do it's just not 21 days you work at it year round correct and it has been it's it's become a year-round show we pick judges earlier and earlier every year Um, finding qualified judges can be a challenge not because we don't we certainly have plenty of qualified judges it's just that most of those judges are showing too and sometimes Absolutely. you're faced with, do I want this person as a judge or would I rather have this person as an exhibitor? And so starting that process of finding judges, you know, starts starts in December. And so it, it is a year-round show going to sales and functions um, and talking to people about the show. It's it's no different than any other kind of business. It has, it has pretty much become a year-round uh, job, if you will. Sure. So in closing, let's just give a great shout out to your fair. Tell us how to find you. You're, you're in Indianapolis and, and tell us kind of the schedule on what breeds are showing together and, and when it all starts. Sure. So um, we start actually on Monday and we have a donkey and mule show. So this coming Monday uh, for three or four days, we'll have donkey and mule um, in the draft horse barn. That kind of starts our fair, if you will. Um, Lisa, I have to stop you there, Lisa. Thursday. Hold on. Hold on a second. What do they do at the Donkey and Mule show? Is it the most stubborn contest? Every- what What happens? <laughs> it's no, who can't walk a, the fastest? Have uh, ju- we have a mule jumping contest. Do so you want mule can jump the highest? Oh, that's but, cool. No, they wow. have, we have confirmation classes and performance classes for both those. But we also have riding classes. Uh, a lot of the exhibitors will ride uh, a donkey or mule in performance classes. So oh, that's fun. It's a great way to start 
start the fair. We have a, the donkey and mule exhibitors are great people. Um, so they come in for three or four days. They'll leave on Thursday, the 10th, August 10th. And then our draft horses start to come in on Friday, the 11th. And we have the Pertron and sales come in together. So um, because of the size of the show, we can't have all breeds uh, at the same time. So we have to split it up. So Clydesdales and Belgians come in on Friday. They'll show Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Then they leave. We clean the barn. And then on Wednesday, we have Belgians, Halflingers, and Draft Ponies come in. And then they'll show, uh, finish up the state fair showing on the 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th. Lisa and I were talking before it started about, I, you probably even know some of these numbers, about how much hay, how much bedding, and those kinds of things must happen at a show this size with draft horses. A lot. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I can't even keep numbers, but I will say we, we do a lot of pre-ordering for our exhibitors. They'll, they'll call us or text us the day before and say, Hey, Lisa, can you have 80 bales of shavings there for us? And they literally buy them by the pallet. And so it's pretty wow. amazing to see all these uh, pallets come in full of uh, shavings. Well, wow. Well, it's an interesting show. One thing we always say about Indiana, you don't have to worry about being too hot to watch the show because you have this beautiful Coliseum <laughs> that you showcase. It's air-conditioned, and you can just sit there all day long and, and watch from halter to youth to performance classes, and all breeds well-represented at the Indiana State Fair. So, Lisa, thank you so much for being a part of our show. I know that you have a busy three weeks ahead of you, and, and I'll be seeing you in a few days. But it's, it's great to talk about the Indiana State Fair and, and your dedication and your family's love, not only of Belgian horses, but helping to showcase them at Indiana State Fair. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and, and, uh, and certainly enjoyed the chat. Thanks, Lisa. Perfect. Have a great day. Well, you're, you're, as we said, you're at a state fair right now, but you're set up for the Clydesdale store and more, right? I am. The Clydesdale store and more is in the lower level of the horse barn at the Wisconsin State Fair. And I'm so excited. We have some new World Clydesdale Show merchandise. So it's going to go up on the Facebook soon. Literally, it was loaded in the trailer as I was leaving at the, uh, the distributor for a lot of my shirts, he met me on the road. We put it in the trailer and we came up here. So when I opened the boxes yesterday and I had the vision, what I wanted and he put it on shirts. So we're really excited to have the Clydesdale world show merchandise here, but you know, just because it's Clydesdale this week doesn't mean on their website, we don't have the, the Pertrans and the Belgians represented too. So you can find me online at the, the Clydesdale store and more.com. And you can do all your ordering. We ship. It's $5 shipping. Doesn't matter how big your order is. $5 shipping. And there's something for everybody. Can't beat that. And I know that uh, I know that a listener or two requested the shirt I was wearing. I took a picture uh, of the shirt I was wearing. I was wearing the American flag shirt, which I which I really yeah. love, with with the draft horse on it. So you can find those over there at uh, Clydesdale Store and more, too. Perfect. And follow us on Facebook. We're always putting new things on Facebook. Sounds good. Well, we're going to take a break for Templeton Thompson when I get where I'm going, and then we're coming back. We're going to switch gears here a little bit and talk about South America and what's happening down there in the draft horse world right after we hear from Tempe.
Templeton Thompson. You can find all of her music at templetonthompson.com. Well, the Waverly Midwest horse sale is coming up this fall. It is the longest-running and largest public draft horse auction in existence. They take great pride in offering well-broke, well-matched teams of every make, model, and color. When it began back in 1948, it was the only venue of its kind. And today, the Waverly Midwest Horse Sale remains the draft horse market to which all others are compared. Held each spring and fall, it's far more than an auction. It's a great tradition. Join them in the heart of horse country October 3rd through the 6th as they auction off tack and horse-drawn equipment, horse collectibles, and over 700 head of horses, including some of the finest draft teams in North America, every size and color, including draft crosses, mules, light driving teams, ponies, and miniatures can be found at the Waverly Midwest Horse Sale. It's always so funny seeing the minis right beside the draft horses. They sell t- I mean, it's just so funny, especially from the back for some reason. They sell tack and horse-drawn equipment on October 3rd and 4th, draft horses, halflingers, and fjords on October 5th, and draft crosses, mules, light driving horses, riding horses, ponies, and miniatures on October the 6th. The fall consignment deadline is October or is August 14th, coming up. August 14th. However, consignments will be accepted right up to the sale time. For more information, visit the website at waverlysales.com or visit them on Facebook, Waverly Midwest Horse Sale, or the website at waverlysales.com. And if you go to the Waverly Horse Sale, the Draft Horse Journal is literally a block down the road. Oh, really? Oh, well, that's cool. Go go visit Lynn and his staff and, and see the Draft Horse Journal, and it's you can see each other out the window. Well, there you go. Very cool. I love draft horse sales. They're so much fun. <laughs> it's any any horse sales fun, but uh, seeing draft horse and minis together, that's perfect. Can't get any better than that. Well, coming up next, we're going to change gears a little bit. We have Robert Sparrow on. He's board member of the Percheron Horse Association of America, and we're going to talk about a program called the United States Livestock Genetics Export. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, sir. I know that we've Good morning, uh, Robert. I know that we've mentioned this before, morning, Lisa. before on the show, but tell us remind everybody for new listeners what 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 that program is and what it does. The program is a federally funded program that we are members of where we go to other countries to present our livestock that we have for sale or we bring people from other countries to our country to show them uh, what we might do, what we can add to their genetics, how our genetics can improve what they're doing, uh, and any of their needs that, that they have, we're willing to help them in any way we can. Do we export as a whole? Do we export a lot of draft horses around the world? It's a growing market. Uh, the uh, Southeast Asia, uh, there's a lot of horses exported to Korea. Uh, to Japan, to China, and it's it's a growing market. 
Wow. So we're exporting some of the biggest horses to some of the most crowded countries. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Actually, those countries that lack, their rural people lack for funds can can be set up with a horse, a harness, and some equipment. And moving from all hand labor to horse, of course, their production is considerably greater. Yeah, we don't even think about that anymore, right? We live in such a technological world here with tractors that do practically drive themselves. Uh, but we forget that there, that that exists around the world. Well, that's that's true. We just came back from Bogota, Colombia, and on our trip down there, they use single horses. Very few teams are even hooked because they don't have the ability to drive them. And they use them in their uh, the draft horses in their dairy operations. It's a very unique operation. The cows are milked in a parlor, but the parlor's on skids and moved around the pastures because it's uh, in Bogota, you're sitting at 8,500 feet, but the temperature varies from from uh, 40 to 80 degrees year-round. So it is a uh, grass program year-round. So they actually bring the milkers to the cows? Yes, sir. Uh, The the stanchions, the milking parlor, is built on a skid. They have um, generation uh, equipment to have uh, uh, electric milkers, and they have bulk tanks that they hook up and pump the milk right in, and they have a single horse that takes that milk back to the cooler at the main facility. Why is that easier oh. than moving the cows? Now you got me curious. Now, because I grew up in Leicester County, Pennsylvania, so you know I'm used to milking well, they, they move the cows on a daily basis, rotational grazing, and they give. Oh, it's not very many acres, and they move these cows twice or three times a day. And that's just the way their system has evolved. I was down there four years ago and toured a little bit more than this time. And I only actually saw one, what would we would say a dairy barn where they actually milk cows in a, in a barn. Wow, the rest of them were all milked on wow. the pasture. Yes. What is, wow. Well, you did, you, I'm sorry, you did go to Bogota this time on behalf of the Pertron Association. So tell us who made the trip with you. Uh, Lynn Tallin, um, former uh, director of the Perch and Horse Association and editor of the Draft Horse Journal, went. And uh, Andrea Detweiler, she has been heading up our USLGE uh, team, and she puts these all together. She went with us. And then my wife accompanied us at my or at our expense. Um, this is not a vacation. This is a, a uh, sales mission that we're on down there and and uh, that's what we're trying to do is, is sell livestock particularly parchin genetics now when you went there four years ago you took on a whole different role uh you went down there and you judged the national show of columbia so how did that come about how did they find a gentleman in missouri to go to bogota was that part of through the parchin association Yes, they actually, their Draft Horse Association, they have all breeds in their Draft Horse Association, contacted our Perchant office and asked if there was a director that would be willing to come to Bogota and judge your show. And uh, I said, sure, I'd love to go. And uh, So the airplane was not, the, the airline, air, 
air flight down there wasn't a, a bother or anything. Uh, out of Atlanta, I flew to Bogota. It was a four and a half hour flight, so it wasn't a big deal. Oh, no, not not bad at all. So between when you went there to judge the show, and I'm I can only imagine the difference in their horses. I mean, yes, we're all draft horses, and you said they all show together, but there is a standard they have compared to a standard we have. Was it was it difficult to to kind of switch gears and see the more old stock? stockier horse of the well, pack? I, I enter into a judging arena in a little different area than some people do. Quality and soundness are my first issues. Style is only secondary. If an animal is not functionally sound, uh, it doesn't enter any useful purpose in any sector. And, uh, the things that we've looked for for a hundred years and draft horses are things that make that horse sound and, and serviceably to go out and work. And if they have faults, um, they're not going to be able to do their job, whether it be in a shell ring or pulling a plow. If they're lame, they're lame and they, they cannot do their job. So is they were, the horses were older. Pardon me? I was just going to say, is showing big down there? Is it a big thing, or is it just becoming a thing? No. No. Uh, they've had this show for quite some time, and there were this year there were over 100 draft horses in the show, wow. but about 120, I believe. But it was uh, mainly Perchman's and Belgians, uh, a couple of spotted drafts, a uh, a couple of Clydesdales and one Shire. So it was basically a, a Persian now, Belgian it, show, but they only, they only show a halter okay. and they have a single horse pull. So there's no driving competitions. Are, are these horses then also, are they just halter horses or they also worked all year long and then they bring them in for the show? Well, um, actually the mayors, the champion and reserve champion mayor, uh, are on a dairy farm, and those mares are in harness five and six, seven days a week, uh, moving the milking equipment around. And uh, uh, actually, the reserve champion mare was uh, she's twelve or fourteen years old, and she was my champion four years ago. Um, but she works every day and um, does what a draft horse is really supposed to do. So do you think because of modern technology, the internet, Facebook, um, magazines like the Draft Horse Journal, do you think that the Americans are shaping some of the way that they're starting to show? Are are they trying to take over some of our traditions in the show arena, or are they staying steadfast with their own traditions? Well, they are accepting or moving towards our style of horse in the show ring. And they're having a division as we tour different farms. Um, the Colombian people are shorter. I'm going to say the average man is 5'6". And one of the farms that we visited, they have 500 cows at milk. And they use 12 to 14 horses on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And they don't want a tall horse to harness. These people, these men that are five, six, can't harness an 18-hand horse. Um, right. They physically just can't get on. 
they're actually looking for a 16-hand horse that can do the job. And uh, so there's a big division, much as there is here in this country. There is a show ring, and then there's the other horses that are doing other things. So do you think that the interest, though, right now is to import more horses or, or to buy American horses? Are, are the Colombian people that you visited with as part of this program, are they coming to the U.S. anytime soon to kind of reciprocate the journey? Right now, we're working with uh, three and possibly four that are trying to work out arrangements through our USLGE to attend our national show in Des Moines, Iowa, the Iowa State Fair. Um, they are very, very interested in importing uh, stallions. Um, they are interested in it, in importing both show type stallions and stallions of a smaller draft year size. Um, once again, this grass thing in Bogota, they have grass year round, but there is no grain. So all the grain that is fed is shipped in. So they need a horse if they're working on the farm that has a large capacity to eat grass, a horse with a lot of barrel, a horse that can, can eat a lot of grass overnight, so they're not having to purchase grain that's shipped in three to 500 miles. Hmm. Wow. And I, and I know it's a very complicated process, but could you give us the short version on, let's say they come to the national show in Des Moines and they find a horse they want. What is the, the exportation like for a horse to get into Columbia? Well, uh, there's been, in a, and on a regular basis, there's been horses exported down there at this time. Um, the horses have to go through a 30-day quarantine that can be handled on most farms. Then after they go through that quarantine, most of the horses go to Miami to fly to Bogota. And the uh, there is sometimes a quarantine uh in Miami, and then after they reach Bogota, they're held in quarantine for a time. But as animal health issues change, those laws and, and regulations change also. So what might be in place today might not be in place 30 days. It may be different, may be more stringent. Uh, there has been an outbreak of hoof and mouth uh, on the border with Venezuela. And that was a concern when we were there. While we don't have that with horses, um, there are other diseases that, that they're concerned about. Do they, do they, uh, just fascinated because I've never had this conversation before, do they take vaccination and things as seriously down there? Is it a thing? Yes, uh, I would say uh, it is, and it's like here. There are people that are very up and, and uh vaccinate on a regular basis and there's those that don't. So um, they're much like we are in that regard. Yeah. There's some of these people that, that, that don't, that fail to vaccinate and some of them are very stringent about maintaining it. One of the things that they have is an absence in the Bogota area. Now you go um, towards the ocean and you get into more tropics and you're going to change totally. But Bogota hardly saw a fly. And uh, so pests are not quite a problem there that they would be uh, 
in the coastal area where you get into the tropics. Okay, I live in o- Ocala, Florida. To not see a fly or a mosquito would be a wonderful thing. Uh, <laughs> so. Well, uh, many of us thought it would be wonderful to spend July and August in Bogota and January and February. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, but, I'm curious. Uh, daytime when high. You... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, the daytime high is what? Uh, the daytime high is usually in the upper 70s. And by evening, you're wanting a light coat. Uh, we wore, uh, I wore a long sleeve shirt and an undershirt, and I still was looking for a coat towards evening. Wow, that's wow. nice. <laughs> and, and we're 100 degrees at the Iowa yeah. State Fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, my question is when I go to the different fairs, be it Scott County or here, when you pull in, you see that the trend right now is the big 53 foot semis and uh, fancy goosenecks and everything, but are they very back to the simplicity when they're hauling their horses? What, what is their horse show like? Good is, question. Is um, it tents and barns? Is it box stalls, high stalls? Um, they had them in box stalls and the box stalls had little poles raising a tin roof over the top of them. And, oh. and some of it was some type of composite. So that part of it was a little bit old style or, well, maybe a little, a little different. Uh, transportation is a whole other issue. Uh, our group, when we were there, we had a private driver to transport us. And we sit there and shoot our fingernails and grab the, the handles because traffic in Bogota is unruled. Very, very few stoplights, a lot of turnstiles, lots of uh, motorcycles running in and out. The horses, a few of them are transported in trailers, but most of them are in a stock rack on a two-ton truck. Oh, my. What we used to do in this country 40 years ago. But Mm -hmm. their their roads are... Not good. Uh, lots of bad potholes. A uh, lot of narrow back roads, and uh, it it's uh, the road system is very very bad. And when they export horses, they could take them by ship from Miami to the coast, but the roads from the coast, traveling that five four hundred miles, I think it is. Inland, they would rather fly the horses right into Bogota instead of transport them over those bad roads. Jeez. Uh, so, have so you, you personally? Think, you think imp- your road? Oh, go ahead. When you think their roads are, are our roads are bad. Most of our roads here are pretty good compared. Hey, to we've been on we some of those roads there. on the sides of the mountains down there that have one lane, and there's two two lanes of traffic coming with no guardrails. I can't imagine doing it with a horse trailer behind you. Jeez. Yeah. So, Robert, have you personally exported horses that go to Colombia? Where did you have a chance to see any that you had hands on exporting while you were there? No, I I have not. I exported some to. Uh, Costa Rica a number of years ago, but I've not sent any to uh, Colombia. Okay. So I know we were, you were there as part of um, the USLGE. What is the biggest thing that you took away from this trip? Because I know you went there representing the Perchner Association, and, and it is basically a marketing program where, where we're trying to market to them, they're trying to market 
but we all learn. So what was your biggest learning or, or biggest takeaway from this trip? They have a strong desire for our genetics. Um, there is a real demand for stallions. And unfortunately, the, the thing I had to tell them was with our upturn in our market here, the available three-year-old stallions are very, very slim. And uh, mm-hmm. they're going to come up here and, and look for stallions. Uh, our World Congress is coming up in 2018, and I expect a strong group to come then and look for horses. And uh, I see a very big uh, payback for this trip. I, I never have been around people that are so interested in improving what they're doing. And improving doesn't necessarily mean all show stock, but improving the horses that they have to work with, whether it be on their farms or in the show ring, either one. Very cool. Well, we've plain run out of time, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's fascinating hearing about other countries and, and how they handle their horses and what happens there. That's very cool that you got to do that. Well, it was a great, uh, great trip, and I think we'll see big returns from it. And now, was there an article or a blog post? Was there anything written in the journal about it, about the trip? There will be an, uh, a couple of articles coming out. I think Lynn is working on one for the Draft Horse Journal. Okay. And the uh, Virtual News will have one also coming out. But uh, um, I think Lynn is going to have one in his summer or fall journal, actually, when it comes out. Okay. And uh, Well, that'll so be cool because I know he'll have good pictures, out. too. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun to see. And I know, yeah. and I know Robert, um, switching gears. Missouri State Fair, why don't you give us a shout-out? You're the new superintendent of Missouri State Fair, so give us a shout-out about their draft horse show. We're looking to have a good show. We've got 10 to 12 six-horse hitches. I haven't got the full count yet as entries have just closed. Uh, We're going to have a six-horse hitch on both Friday and Saturday night. There will be 10 to 12, like I said, in in, uh, those two classes. And on Sunday, we'll hook the eight-horse hitch. And I think we'll probably have uh, six or eight eight horse hitches. We're going to have an outstanding show. We have a great venue in the Matthewson Center as an air conditioned facility. And, uh, and what city I'm is excited. it in? What city? I, I'm, it's in it's in Sedalia, Missouri. Uh, I'm going to say one more thing. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, a talker. I like to get on the microphone. We're going to try to educate the public a little bit. We're going to interview the judge and ask the judge about the class that just left the ring. What was he looking for? What did he see that he liked? Why did he place that one there? Amen. And trying to educate our why, public. Why haven't we done that uh, before? I can't. I can't say amen enough to that, Robert. <laughs> well, well, for uh, people like me who go, who's not an expert, and I go, well, I really like that one. Why that one win? And we never get an answer to why did that one win? Well, and and that is where I'm headed with this: is that if we educate our public, we have uh, we have far more entertainment then bull riding because we're going to have the ring full at all times of horses or we're going to be telling you what's coming and we have a lot of excitement some people just don't see what's going on and uh, this is this is exciting for me uh, every time that I do this as a judge I get feedback it's unreal people are just excited now they know what we're looking for why we did this or that and uh, they just are more fulfilled in watching the show. Well, unless mad at you after. 
So there's that too. <laughs> Thank you, All Robert. Right. Sedalia, Missouri, well, Missouri State Fair, and and Robert. Uh, any questions about that? I'm sure they can find you your name and number in the Percher and Newses. And we appreciate you being with us and sharing your journey to Columbia with us. Okay, and uh, thank you much, Lisa. All right. All right. Have Here. a great day. Uh, speaking of which, we're talking a lot about shows today, and Jennifer's going to tell us a little bit about one that's coming up in 2018. That's right. Coming up in 2018, that's 447 days away, is the World Applied Sales Show, and it's returning to the Alliant Energy Center in Madison, Wisconsin. And this year, the World Clydesdale Show is proud to welcome Chesapeake Petroleum as the official title sponsor. And that means great things for the Crown Jewel event. An additional $50,000 in premiums has been pledged by the Chesapeake Petroleum's Victoria McCullough. She's investing back into the breed and the people who support it. Mark your calendars now. That's October 24th through the 28th, 28th of 2018 and start making your plans to attend the World Clydesdale Show, where the breed's best will be on hand to partake in well over 100 competitions. And you can stay up to date with everything going on at the World Clydesdale Show. That's www.worldclydesdaleshow.com. And I know Perfect. a certain uh, great show. Clydesdale <laughs> store and more that'll probably be set up there, too, I would be my guess. You know it. You know <laughs> it. We're going to have a great display. We went. We had a meeting, um, the committee working on this world show, we had a, a meeting up there. And it's so good to go to a facility and see it. You can look at papers and maps and everything, but when you can go to a facility and envision things, and we're just, we're just having things that are bigger and better in every one of these world shows, you know. It is going to be a busy month in October of 2018 because it goes to the World Perturing Congress and, and then the World Clydesdale Show. But what an honor for all of our draft horse industry because these are two great breeds that are, are doing tremendous shows. And it's a whole different setting. Iowa State Fairground, very family-oriented, very flat, um, nice arena. Then when you move into Madison, huge barns, very modern facility. We're in, in Iowa for the Pertrans, it's about tradition, the old horse barns, and a lot of traditional buildings. But when you get to Madison, it's it's modern, it's first class, and they both have so much to offer to our industry. That's so, October we're of talk next about year. Some yep. October, yeah, but right now, we busy. have shows coming up right now. Tell us about those. We do. I, as I have mentioned, I'm at the Wisconsin State Fair right now this week. Um, up through Saturday, we showcase the Clydesdales here at Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Then next week, the Pertrance Belgian and Shire Show. They will move in here to Wisconsin State Fair. Also right now, um, scheduled August 10th through the 13th, is the Albert City Threshermen and Collector Show in Albert City, Iowa. October 12th through the 15th is the Indiana State Fair. You know, talking with Lisa, she'll be welcoming some of the best Pertrance and Clydesdales that first week. And then the next week will be the Belgians and mixing in the donkeys and the halflingers, the full arrangement of equine events at the Indiana State Fair. Then we all move to the Iowa State Fair. The Belgian and Shires kick it off on Sunday, which starts the 13th of August. And then the Pertrans and the Clydesdales will be coming in. It is the National Shire Show and it is the National Pertran Show at the Iowa State Fair. August 24th through the 27th in Nebraska State Fair. That is in Grand Isle, Nebraska. And then August 25th through the 28th is the Minnesota State Fair. That is held in St. Paul. 
one of the busiest fairs I've ever seen as far as people. The crowds are phenomenal. I can celebrate my birthday again at the Minnesota State Fair. That's August 25th through the 28th. And if you enjoy watching any breed in particular, the Nationals, the National Belgian Show and the National Clydesdale Show are going to be in Indiana. And the National Pertrand and the National Shire are going to be at the great Iowa State Fair. So something all across this great country for everybody to be a part of. All I can picture is eating my way through all the state fairs. That's what I'm picturing. And weighing about 400 pounds when I'm done. Absolutely. <laughs> As I said, in cream puff capital of the world this week. Yeah, yeah enjoy that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the Draft Horse Journal at drafthorsejournal.com. Visit Lisa at the Clydesdale store and more.com. Find links to today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. And you can follow all of our shows here at the Horse Radio Network, the easiest and simplest way, including the live feed for any of our shows that we do. Uh, we do special events live sometimes, too. And that's on our app. Just search for Horse Radio Network in the Android or the iPhone app store, and you'll find us in there. It's free and it's easy to use. You know, we also have a website, horseradionetwork.com. All past episodes of our show, if you just go in there and search for, uh, just search for Draft Horse. It'll bring up all the past episodes and, and you'll find it. Uh, and also, all it's almost 6,400 episodes we've done over nine years are in oh. there. So you can go get caught up on, it'll take, we figured it out one time, Lisa. If you listen 24 hours a day uh, <laughs> for two hour shows from the beginning, from nine years ago, it would take you almost a year at 24 hours a day to listen to all of our shows. Wow. So but one year, <clears throat> and we're celebrating one year with this this episode. A great way to to kick off one year of heavy horses in the morning. That's right. Now, you listen to just hours, it'll probably take you a couple days if you just listen to the draft yeah. horse episode. So it's not going to take you a year. And besides, we don't recommend anybody listen to us for a year straight. They would need psychiatric no. help. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and thanks to our sponsor, Shipshawana Harness and Supplies, the 2018 World Percheron Congress, the 2018 World Clyde Show, the Clydesdale Store and More, and the Waverly Midwest Fall Horse Sale. Horses in the Morning is here five days a week at 9 a.m. Tomorrow we're back. Jamie is back. She is my co-host Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the last six years. She is at Monty Roberts Place at Flag is Up Farm out in California. And she took a bunch of questions from our listeners and got sat Monty down and made him answer them. So we're going to have that for you on tomorrow's show as well as Really Bad Ads. Get your ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. We'll be picking our winners for Really Bad Ads tomorrow. Thanks again, Lisa. Thanks to Lynn. And thanks for a good year. Have a super day and enjoy the beautiful weather in Florida.